The Beatles are a pretty nice band, and we've got a lot to say. The Beatles are a pretty nice band, talk about them day after day. But we also love the outfit a lot, so are these songs better than your love? The Beatles are a pretty nice band, someday we'll judge if they're fine, oh yeah, someday we'll judge if they're fine. Cross the Universe, my favorite Lizzie Bravo record. This is Joel Ed's yearly reminder he isn't all about being a smartass and an asshole. Uh, this beauty has four definitive versions flowing around. The Anthology 2 version, that is George and Sitar, the one for a compilation album, the one for the original Let It Be album, full of specterness, and the Stark Let It Be Naked version. Uh, I personally like the compilation album version that's on Past Masters. There's some adornment, some wah-wah effects on the acoustic guitar, some backing vocals. It's just the right amount for me. I think this is the best song about meditation I've ever heard, because the verses are all about the constant stream of thinking the human brain spews out every second of every damn day. And the chorus says, hey, fuck you, I'm centered. I can shut the noise. I'm a child of nature, so to speak. I haven't forgotten where I've come from. So, uh, gorgeous is an understatement. Absolutely. I adore this song. The lyrics are transcendent, and to use your word, they're gorgeous. I think this is Lennon at his absolute best. Uh, I heard this song first on the Naked album, so I fell in love with it in probably what you would consider its like starkest, like most demo form. Mm-hmm. Um, so to that point, like I felt like it didn't need anything else. So the one that was a commercially available on the on the Let It Be album is a massive letdown. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like slowing it down and making it sound like it's like underwater, that's a bummer. Uh, the strings, absolutely unnecessary. <laughs> Although I must say, the version that's on Anthology Two I had never heard before until you shared it in the the notes, and whoa. That is, like, for me, like, that's the best of both worlds when it comes to having it, like, be stark and beautiful as well as being fleshed out. I think the thing that bothers me the most about the other versions is the them pitching it up or down. Like, they pitched it up in the World Wildlife Fund version that you find on Past Masters, and, like, I don't know. And I, But I do love the wah-wah guitar. Like, the, the, um, I, I'm assuming is George playing. I think that that's cool. Um, but... Yeah, I again, I'm gonna you fall in love with what you heard first, I guess, right? So, the naked version for me, <laughs> yeah, for let it be. Uh, Phil Spector said, I don't need your wah to George, and he's like, mm. <laughs> <laughs> didn't he, he? Didn't he write that song about the let it be sessions or the get back sessions? Maybe, uh, I think he, I'm pretty sure he wrote that like right after he he said, see you around the clubs, <laughs> he went home. I can see that, yeah. I don't need your wawa. So this was John's first composition to be recorded by the Beatles since I Am the Walrus five months earlier. The words were written wow. before the music and came to London in the early hours one morning at his home in Kenwood. I was lying next to my first wife in bed, Sylvia, and I was irritated. She must have been going on and on about something and she'd gone to sleep and I kept hearing these words over and over, flowing like an endless stream. I went downstairs and it turned into sort of a cosmic song rather than an irritated song. Rather than a why are you always mouthing off at me or whatever, right? Like wah-wah. But the words stand, luckily, by themselves. They were purely inspirational, were given to me as boom. I don't own it, you know. It came through like that. 
I don't know where it came from, what meter it's in. And I've sat down and looked at looked at it and said, can I write another one with this meter? It's so interesting. Words are flying out like endless rain into a paper cup. They slitter while they pass. They slip away across the universe. Such an extraordinary meter, and I could never repeat it. It's not a matter of craftsmanship. It wrote itself. It drove me out of bed. I didn't want to write it. I was just slightly irritable, and I went downstairs, and I couldn't get to sleep until I put it on paper. And then I went to sleep. It's like being possessed, like a psychic or a medium. The thing has to go down. It won't let you sleep, so you have to get up, make it into something, and then you're allowed to sleep. It's always in the middle of the bloody night, when you're half awake or tired, and your critical facilities are switched off. Again, dealing with dreams, more or less. Uh... Yeah, didn't he have another song that was about that he kind of dreamed a little bit? I'm trying I'm to remember. I'm so what tired. It was. Well, I'm so tired. Sure, but I thought there was another one where number nine dream. <laughs> You're like me. I mean, I, maybe I'm mixing it up. Uh, I, I, I might know. be mixing it up with another song. In my head here. Part of the song's chorus, Jai Guru Deva Om, is a Sanskrit phrase which roughly, roughly translates as "Victory to God Divide." It was likely inspired by Maharishi Mahesh Yogi, whom the Beatles had first met in August 1967. Maharishi's spiritual master was called Guru Dev. Jai is a Hindi word meaning long live or victory, and Om is a sacred syllable in the Hindu, Jain, and Buddhist religions. Lennon initially wanted Across the Universe to be released as a single while the Beatles were in India with Maharishi, but the group opted for Lady Madonna instead. In March 1969, Across the Universe was booted, I've never heard yeah. that word before in this matter, for a never-released Yellow Submarine EP, but eventually appeared on No One's Gonna Change Our World, an 11-song charity album featuring the Bee Gees, Stila Black, the Hollies, and others. Uh, John said it was a lousy track of a great song, and I was so disappointed by it. It never went out as the Beatles. I gave it to the Wildlife Fund of Great Britain. And then when Phil Spector was brought in to produce Let It Be, he dug it out of the Beatles' files and overdubbed it. The Beatles' files. The guitars are out of tune, and I'm singing out of tune because I'm psychologically destroyed, and nobody's supporting me or helping me with it. The song was never done properly. The Beatles recorded Across the Universe over three days in early 68, although an orchestral overdub was added many months later, as we all know. Uh, the group continued working on the song until settling on Take 7, onto which Lennon again taped his lead vocals. He and McCartney then decided to need female harmony vocals to sing Nuffy's Gonna Change My World in the chorus. And so McCartney held an impromptu audition among the girls gathered outside EMI Studios. The girls were Lizzie Bravo, 16 years old, and the 17-year-old Gaylene Pease. They were the only Beatles fans ever invited to contribute to a recording session. And uh, I love their voices. Paul did a great job. I think he could be on The Voice as one of the uh, judges. Sure. <laughs> uh, Blake Shelton just left. There's an opening. So uh, I think he'd be perfect. Why not? I There's mean, he's an got opening. No- he's got nothing else going on, right? Um, after the... Nope. <laughs> After the girls had completed their parts, the Beatles taped backwards bass and drums, although these were later wiped. Uh, the group also taped three sound effects, 15 seconds of humming, a guitar, and a harp-like sound, both to be played backwards. None of these were used. 
Spectre's treatment of Across the Universe was later cited by Lennon as one of the highlights of the album. He claimed the Maverick producer worked wonders on the song and that Paul McCartney had originally attempted to sabotage the recording. John in 1980 said, The Beatles didn't make a good record of it. I think subconsciously sometimes we... I say we, though I think Paul did it more than the rest of us. Paul would sort of subconsciously try and destroy a great song. He subconsciously tried to destroy songs, meaning that we play experimental games with my great pieces, like Strawberry Fields, which I always felt was barely recorded. That song got away f- with it, and it worked. But usually we'd spend hours doing little detailed cleaning ups of Paul's songs. When it came to mind, especially if it was a great song like Strawberry Fields or Across the Universe, somehow this atmosphere of looseness and casualness of experimentation would creep in. Subconscious sabotage. He'll deny it, because he's got a bland face and he'll say the sabotage doesn't exist. But this is the kind of thing I'm talking about, where I was always seeing what was going on. I began to think, well, maybe I'm paranoid, but it's not paranoid. It's absolute truth. And this was in 1980. This is, I feel like um, I'm listening to um, the Gallagher brothers right here. Oh, boy. He's, John sounds like Liam Gallagher. Oh, boy. <laughs> he's got a bland face. He's a potato. <laughs> Hashtag Beatles did it. By the way, the Gallagher brothers would love that you said that. I'm sure they would. <laughs> Anything compared to the Beatles. Anyway, here's Wonderwall music. But uh, I thought that was always George's complaint. Like when when George's songs were being worked on, they they you know that was when they were they would get loose and and I that, not take it and serious. I would agree with that. It seems like when I mean it's there's been many um, indications that when John came with the song. It th- he had the room, like they always worked on his stuff first. Yeah, like it was always it was always a John song. So yes. I mean, it it feels like sour grapes, and I mean I disagree with John here that I think they did get a good recording. I think Paul did like the song, and uh, you know when it comes to like the naked version, he he stripped everything back and just made it like him the focus because. Mm-hmm. You know, it is that beautiful. It didn't need it. Didn't need anything else in that in that version. Well, yeah, the whole thing is like John was the leader of the group in the beginning, right. and Paul gradually took over. Correct. And I think John didn't like that. Sure. Um, and yeah, and also like with the bringing in the two teenage girls, the Apple Scruffs, to do the backing vocal. I think he thought that was Paul sabotaging it, even though it's pretty good. Yeah, I it's thought. pretty good. On February 4th, 2008, NASA transmitted the interstellar message across the universe in the direction of the star Polaris, 431 light years from Earth. The transmission was made using a 70-meter antenna in a Deep Space Network's Madrid Deep Space Communication Complex located outside of Madrid, Spain. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. The event, was, the event marked the first time a song had ever been intentionally transmitted into deep space. It was approved by Paul McCartney, Yoko Ono, and Apple. Um, so that's interesting. They couldn't, or they thought they couldn't have Here Comes the Sun on that gold record they shot up to space. But, but, uh, but they got approval from Paul and Yoko in 2008 for this. Interesting. Interesting. Mm. This song has been covered by many artists, including David Bowie. On his 1975 album, Young Americans, yeah. which featured contributions from Lennon. Mm-hmm. 
who, uh, among other things, played acoustic guitar on the cover. Winston O'Boogie. That's <laughs> Dr. Winston O'Boogie. Oh, that's doctor Please. to you. That's right. In night, Dr. Robert and Dr. Winston O'Boogie, please report. In 1998, Fiona Apple recorded and released a song as part of the Pleasantville motion picture soundtrack. Pitchfork named it Apple's best cover, highlighting how it suits the film. In 2002, Rufus Rainwright recorded a cover version for the film I Am Sam. Mm-hmm. In 2005, Velvet Revolver, remember them? <laughs> yeah. Featuring Stevie Wonder performed it during the 47th Grammy Awards. Excuse me? The musicians included Billy Joe Armstrong, Bono, Nora Jones, Alicia Keys, Alison Cross on fiddle, Tim McGraw, Slash playing 12-string guitar, Steven Tyler, Brian Wilson, and Stevie Wonder on lead vocals and harmonica. The performance was recorded as a tribute to the, two, to the 2004 tsunami victims. That is the most 2004 sentence I have ever heard in my life. It's a long one, but you're right. Yes. Music critic Richie Unterberger of All Music said the song was one of the group's most delicate and cosmic ballads and one of the highlights of the Let It Be album. Music critic Ian McDonald was critical of the song, calling it a plaintively babyish incantation and saying its vague pretensions and listless melody are rather too obviously the products of acid grandiosity rendered gentle by sheer exhaustion. You still have Let It Be on the brain, don't you? Love count, zero. Josie Scale, I'd give this a yeah! Absolutely, it's a beautiful song. Although Phil Spector tried to muck it all up, but I'm still going to give it a yeah! The Beatles are a pretty nice band, talk about them day after day. But we also love the outfield a lot, so are these songs better than your love? The Beatles are a pretty nice band, someday we'll judge if they're fine, oh yeah, someday we'll judge if they're fine.